some things do go obsolete. I'm talking about uh, just like everything in life, especially in our technological age, there isn't much that doesn't go obsolete quickly. Now, uh, I had one young man come up to me this morning, and he says, Pastor Scudder, do you know what's going obsolete? I said, what? He says, money. Money is going obsolete. I'm like, this kid's brilliant. So I have $20 that's going obsolete. Uh, you're going to have to spend it quickly before we're all digital. Uh, and by the way, that does fit the Bible. Okay, The Bible talks about without a mark, it's more than just uh, a, a digital currency, but it's a mark of allegiance to the Antichrist. People won't be able to buy and sell in the tribulation period which I believe no Christian will be part of, at least the church will be raptured first. People will be getting saved during the tribulation. But uh, there is a day, and it's coming quickly, that we will not have cash as we know it, and everything will be digital. And I still say, as I travel with some of our staff, especially these young film crew guys, they never have cash. They know I'm going to carry a little bit because they don't have any. So, and they're probably going to say it's because I don't pay them enough. They're probably right. I don't know. Uh, but who would like to get twenty dollars and a kid? A kid. I know you adults are jumping up and down. I know. Uh, any of you kids want twenty bucks to come up and help me? Are you sure? Because I don't know. You don't look very excited about it. Get up here. Get up here. Come on. Have you done this with me before? No, really. Either way, I'm going to have you do it. So, okay. Now I'm going to I'm going to not give you this yet. So come over here. I want you to see if you know what this is. What we're asking for the church is to donate, not donate, but let us borrow something that uh, you know what it is, but your kids or grandkids might not know what it is. And so today we have, why don't you stand over here? First of all, give us your name. Niles. Do it again. Niles. Niles, okay. Um, do you know what this is? No. Okay, you want to take a closer look at it? Can you guys have this up? Okay, hold on to that. You can pull it out of the sleeve. Now hold it up so everyone can see it. Which camera are we on? The middle camera. Hold it up. Spin it around. You guys know what it is. Some of you, some of you that lived through the 80s and 90s, I mean, this was high tech, right? Do you know what it is? No. No, you have no clue. Is it a CD case? A CD thing, yeah, kind of. It's pre-CD. Okay, it's pre-CD-ROM. Um, it is, it's early form of digital media storage. So if you had a computer, an early computer, that's what you would use. Shake it around a little bit. Shake it. See, no, like this way. Yeah, now let me do it. See how it's, what would you call that? Flop. P, yeah, floppy. It's actually called a floppy disk. Isn't that cool? This is a five and a quarter inch floppy disk. This could hold, are you ready for this? One MP3 song. <laughs> one MP3 song. And this is a, this is not the, the early one, the eight inch. Uh, now you all remember the three, was it three and a quarter? The harder, they had a little harder, still called floppy disk. But this was very common and ver very revolutionary. There's a, a magnetic medium in there and it spins and it's inside this plastic case. And this was how we, you know, had a program. You would load a program or you would want to save a, a, a document. Uh, and so you could put a whole MP3 song on this. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. Now, how many MP3 songs can we fit on this little gizmo? 
This is a USB thumb drive. This is 16 gigs. Okay, this costs $7. This, I think they said in today's money it was like $22. And some, somebody, some, some people still use these. Okay, confess. Any of you still use floppy disks? Seriously. There's gotta be somebody that uses a floppy disk. You don't want to admit it. Is there nobody? How many of you knew what this was? Okay. Um, I'd say that's about half. <laughs> okay. So, uh, how many, MP3 songs could fit on this. Like a hundred? Yeah. Like uh, over 12,000 could fit on this. Isn't that amazing how far we've come? And they have these that are, you know, terabyte now too. So that would be huge. So uh, do you want the 20? Oh yeah, I know you do. Go spend that quickly before it goes obsolete. Let's give them a big hand. So folks, many things are going obsolete, but there's something that will never grow obsolete, and that is this book. This is our theme verse for this series, Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Isn't that amazing? But a lot of people say, well, you, okay, you have, you have a book and, and we believe the Bible. Uh, but you know, what about the first two thirds of the Bible? Something that, that is called the Old Testament. I don't really love calling it the Old Testament because kind of what that implies is that this is obsolete. It's old. We, we don't use old things anymore. We have a New Testament, right? And we do. And this is very, very, very important part of our Bible. But does that mean that the Old Testament is obsolete? What might we call this that would be better? I would call it the Hebrew scriptures or the Older Testament, maybe. But this, why do I say that this is not obsolete? I'm not saying that, that all you read is the Old Testament, but I'm saying you need to read it. Why? Because it's the foundation for so many truths in the New Testament. Okay? And, and it's the, the whole Bible is the story of God's love to man. Okay? That's why we need to, we need to know the Old Testament. Not just teach it to our kids in Sunday school. We need to know it ourselves. We need to study it. We need to know what it says. Now, here's an example. We're using a New Testament scripture to springboard, to dive into the Old Testament. So we're going to pick out two scriptures today. Look at Revelation 4, 3. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Now that's interesting, isn't it? There's a, a depiction of a rainbow in the New Testament. Now we all know what that is, right? It's something that we get to experience. Who, who has seen a rainbow in the last month or so? We've almost all seen rainbows recently. It's a constant reminder of something. What? You wouldn't know if you didn't know the Old Testament. You wouldn't know if you didn't read Genesis, you want to know why is the rainbow in the sky? So Christians, we have a real advantage if you read the whole counsel of God. Look at Revelation 10.1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud. I believe this is Jesus himself. And a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. 
Again, what is this rainbow? Of course, we see it. We, we know what it is. But, but what does it mean? Is, is there some symbology? Is there some token or covenant attached to this beautiful symbol that we often see in the sky, usually when the sun is at a lower angle, about 45 degrees, and there has been uh, large raindrops in the sky. That's when you see rainbows. Okay, Is there something about that that we need to know? Well, fortunately, we are going to look into that in the Old Testament. Uh, and But rainbows make us stop, don't they, usually? You, you don't just continue on with life. You always stop and you look and, and you're in awe. And you usually tell somebody else, hey, there's a rainbow. Complete strangers, hey, there's a rainbow, you know, because it's, uh, it's truly amazing. So what is this? What is this rainbow? Well, uh, I was reading about Queen Elizabeth. Uh, they said when she died that there, there were rainbows around around London, around Buckingham Palace, around Windsor Castle. So here's a picture of one of the rainbows that appeared when she passed away uh, last year. Now, is this a sign of something? I can't tell you that. This is something special from God. It's interesting, and the news picked it up because there were rainbows that appeared around all the various places that uh, she had been. One article that wrote about this was trying to explain not just Queen Elizabeth, but the concept of the rainbow was a organization called One for Israel, and they, they're trying to uh, share the gospel with Jewish people. Uh, and they said this, crowd stood in wonder as a huge double rainbow appeared over Buckingham Palace. They had gathered there shortly after the news that the much-loved Queen Elizabeth II had sadly passed away at the age of 96. Even more wondrous was that two more formed over Windsor Castle and also Balmoral at the same time. Newspapers reported it as a sign. Isn't that interesting? Now, Queen Elizabeth is a very interesting person. I don't get into all the royalty stuff. Many, many do. But if I did, I would really be interested in her. Why? Because in 2011, she said this, Although we are capable of great acts of kindness... History teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our reckless or our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. That's an impressive quote, isn't it? So is it a sign that when she passed away, there were multiple rainbows spotted? I don't know. I'm not saying that. I do know that at her coronation, 70 years before she passed, she received a Bible with these words. Our gracious queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. The person writing the article noted, at the time, Queen Elizabeth was surrounded with more glittering wealth and status than any of us will ever see in our lifetimes. Yet, the word of God 
was recognized as the most valuable thing. Let that sink in. So if you are going to get into royalty, uh, certainly I, I encourage you to uh, think about Queen Elizabeth's uh, Bible and the, what was written in that Bible. From the word of God, from this incredible book, we learn that the rainbow is God's gift to us. It is God's gift of mercy. It's his promise of grace. It points to his majesty, to his power, to his aesthetic, to his beauty, and to his sovereignty. And that's why I'd like to share with you from Genesis chapter 9, the rainbow's real message. Genesis 9 verse 8, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Now remember, the flood is over, dry land is there, they are now to come out of the ark. And we're going to learn here in Genesis 9 about this incredible token, covenant. Uh, I want you to, as we go through these verses, I want you to think about how many times it uses the word covenant, bow, and token. Okay, And think about this. This is the first covenant between God and man. This is Noahic covenant. And it's an unconditional covenant. The Bible has a lot of covenants from God to man. Some are conditional. uh, Some are unconditional. This is one of the unconditional promises. Why did God give Noah this covenant, this promise, this token? What's the big deal? Remember, when Noah got off the ark, the world was nothing like what he had left, or his wife had left, or his sons and their wives. They must have been shocked to see the destruction, the the difference now on the planet. So they, they must have been worried Well, if it happened once, surely it can happen again. They were unsettled. So that's why God, in his mercy, and that's why I'm saying this is this covenant is a covenant that showcases God's mercy. When that rainbow appears in the sky, I think it's God saying, here's a covenant, here's a promise, here's here's something that I will never do again. Don't worry about this. He's not saying that it's okay to sin. Sin got us to this point. The violence in the world had gotten so great. If we can just say we can do whatever we want to do. What started this big mess? Pride. Pride. Pride is what. Don't be proud of pride. Okay. We'll get back to that. Okay. God said to Noah. In verse 9. And I behold, I establish my covenant, the Noahic covenant, with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the fowl, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, and all that go, this is to everyone that went out of the ark. Folks, if the Bible is true, which I 100% believe it is, I have no doubts at all, then you came out of the ark. Do you know that? You came out of the ark. If you have a pet, your pet came out of the ark, unless it's a fish. Um, We came out of the ark. So this promise is to us. Okay? To every beast of the earth. This includes your husband. Sorry. 
I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Now, this is a little interesting point. There are some people that claim to be Bible believers that say the flood of Genesis, the flood of Noah, was a local or regional flood. So if God promises to never, with a flood, cut off all flesh, um, and this is, that's why the rainbow's in the sky, but there have been many local and regional floods since this day, then that means God has broken his promise. No, it wasn't a local or regional flood. It was a global water catastrophe. How do we know? Look at the sedimentary layers. Lay down by water, billions of fossils. Fossils don't form today, typically. It's very unusual circumstances that form fossils. How do you know? Well, listen, we drove from here to the camp in Wisconsin last week, and guess what we saw on the side of the road? It was a deer, and it was so cute. No, it wasn't. It was it was hit. It was bloated. You know, you know what happens when something dies today? It usually rots. It doesn't get preserved, right? What preserves a fossil? Well, it's, it's the, the covering of that animal, that creature, with lots of sediment and heat and pressure and certain chemicals are in that sediment and it fossilizes that creature okay and we find them all over the world by the billions okay don't say there's no evidence for a global flood it's everywhere open your eyes just go uh, you can go actually up to wisconsin and there are plenty of places where you can see the layers grand canyon i mean all over the west you see it layer after layer of things laid down by a global flood. And God says, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. This is the covenant to Noah. Neither shall there be any more uh, be a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 12. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generation. This applies to you and me today. We're still under the Noahic covenant. What is the token? What is the token? Well, if you said the, the Old Testament is obsolete, Andy Stanley and others have minimized the Old Testament. I'm not saying that it's the most important thing, but we better know what it says because it's God's word. And we wouldn't know a lot of this stuff. Why is there marriage? Why is there marriage between one man and one woman? Why do we wear clothes? You know, why, why should we protect innocent life? Uh, all of these things are foundational in the Old Testament and especially in Genesis. What is the token? Well, here it is. I do set my bow in the cloud. Okay. And it shall be a token. There it is again of a covenant between me and the earth. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this mean that they did not have rainbows before the flood? Before the flood, did they have rainbows? It doesn't say anywhere that they didn't have rainbows before the flood, but it would seem like this is something new that God is saying. Now, some people said there was already a rainbow in the sky because they can't imagine any condition, earth condition that would keep a rainbow from forming before the flood. I have an idea, and I'll explain it to you in a second. But they said, well, God just repurposed a symbol like the cross 
wasn't something that people admired and looked upon lovingly before Christ. But after Christ, the cross is a, an amazing and beautiful symbol, right? Because it, it's, a, it's a symbol of not only what he did for us in, in dying for our sins, but also it reminds us of how much he loves us that he would do that for us. So I understand that, and, and perhaps that's true. I'm not saying it's not. But I feel if we just take the, the scripture on its face value, it seems like this is something new. The rainbow. So what, what, well, let me finish these verses and I'm going to play you a video so you understand the science of a rainbow. Some of you already know what that is, how rainbows form. Some of you think there's a pot of gold at the end and you're going to, you're going to be looking a long time for that. Okay. A long time. So anyways, I won't, I won't, uh, go into that anymore, but anyway, um, this this bow, it shall come to, verse 14 of Genesis 9, it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, okay, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. Now, we know a certain cloud, certain conditions uh, form rainbows. Uh, 15, I will remember my covenant. Again, this is the first covenant, unconditional Noahic covenant, which is between you, uh, me and you, and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Was it a local flood? Was it a regional flood? It was a global flood. By the way, why would Noah need to build an ark if it was a regional flood? Just get out of the region, folks. You know, it's really silly how we've minimized what God has clearly said. In a, in a, in a clear historical narrative. And that's what Genesis is. Verse 16. And the bow, here it is again, shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it. And I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is the token. It's almost like sometimes when I read scripture, I'm like, why, why would God keep saying that? I think it's because God knew what we would have in our modern day hanging on some of our capital buildings and, and, and embassies and, and uh, uh, city streets, okay? I think he's saying this over and over and over so we would know the meaning and the importance of the token that we call the rainbow, okay? I think he, he was... He was seeing our day in which it has been hijacked in a sense. Again, I'm going to get back to that. It's going to take me a while, but I'm going to get there, okay? So you see this over and over, this token of the covenant, uh, which I've established between me, this is almighty God, and all flesh that is upon the earth. Now, you were probably saying, I want to know the science behind a rainbow, but I don't want it to be some like adult, PBS, boring High, uh, high school lecture, college lecture. I want to see a, uh, a children's version so that I can understand it. Okay. So I found you one, uh, by the Australian Bureau of Meteorology. And, uh, this is how they describe the rainbow. Sunlight in its purest form, straight from the sun, is white light. When a ray of that light reaches a water droplet, a whole lot of action takes place inside. As sunlight enters the water droplet, it starts to slow down or bend slightly and change direction. And this is what we call refraction. The light bounces off the back of the droplet and is refracted again as it exits the droplet. Refraction ends up separating the light into all of the colours of the spectrum. 
And these colours are what we see in the sky as a rainbow. The colours we see are red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo and violet. Each colour represents a different wavelength of light and that wavelength is what determines where the colour appears in the rainbow. Red has the longest wavelength and it gets refracted the least. Add in a bit of reflection, it means it always appears on the outside of the rainbow, the largest arch. Violet is the shortest wavelength. It gets refracted the most and with that reflection, it ends up always being the smallest arch of the rainbow. The best time to see a rainbow is in the early morning or the late afternoon because it's easy to make sure that the angle of the sun is right behind you. The next time you see a rainbow, think of all of those millions of water droplets in the sky with all of that amazing action taking place inside to create a beautifully coloured rainbow. So that's the science of it, right? Now we know, we now know the significance of it because we've read what God said. Now, that goes back to the question, were there rainbows before the flood? And if we say no, then there had to be something different. Now, we know that things have really changed on our earth. How do we know that? Because if you look in the fossil record, some of these plants are massive. Some of these, I mean, incredible creatures. So something really drastically has changed on our planet. One theory, and I'll say this is a theory, is that there was a canopy that would cover the earth. Now, people have said originally maybe it was a water vapor canopy. That doesn't hold up. It can't, it's not physically possible. But others have looked into what is the Hebrew word rakia, which the King James translates uh, to our, you know, our word that we, separates the heavens from the earth, right? Okay, the firmament. So what does that mean? Well, they, they theorized that there was some sort of a canopy and they said maybe it was a crystalline canopy, which the word rakia means to pound out metal. So super thin, uh, one material that might have been used with other materials to surround the earth would have been a silicon uh, sugalit, which is uh, something they find a lot of silicate in the, in the earth, okay, uh, in, in the layers. And it could have, it could have part of the foundation of the great deep opening, uh, the water shooting up and, and ripping that, that canopy. So some, something was very, very different. The Bible actually says, you'll read this on your own sometime in Genesis 2, early in Genesis 2, that God caused not the rain to fall upon the earth, but a mist came up from the ground. So could the way that God had originally created the watering of the planet have been different than it is today? It seems like that to me. I'm not dogmatic. I'm not saying there weren't rainbows before the flood, but it seems to me this is something unique after the flood. And remember what happens usually when we have rain, we usually have other destructive things coming along with that. When we have large water droplet rain, when that sun uh, hits that raindrop, it ref reflects, refracts, and then we see the, the different wavelengths of of white light and displayed in this beautiful rainbow. My feeling, if I were to take a, my best guess, that there weren't rainbows before the flood and that there maybe wasn't rain the same way we have it today. There wouldn't have been hurricanes and massive weather systems and it would have been a lot more static, okay? I'm not saying I understand all that. That's just my best guess. I wasn't there. 
You weren't either. I have the Bible and that's really all I need. But I think we have some good options here that can help explain it. Now let's look back at the verse that we looked at in the New Testament where the rainbow was mentioned. And I really want to emphasize how important it is to know that the rainbow is a symbol of God's power, his beauty, his mercy, and his grace. Revelation 10 verse 1 says, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head. Now, if this is Jesus, which I believe it is referring to him, uh, we have here light, right? Uh, His face was as the sun and his feet pillars of fire and the rainbow around his head. I don't think the rainbow is an accident. I don't think it's just something that happens randomly. I think it's something that reflects God. So when you see the rainbow, here's what I want you to think of. I want you to think of Jesus. I want you to think of his his power, his might, his mercy, his grace, his love. I think the rainbow represents these things in in all ways. And I I love that it's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what was around the the head of Jesus when he was on the cross? It wasn't a rainbow, was it? It was a crown of thorns. Because he suffered, because he took our penalty, he is exalted. And the next time we see him, he will be exalted. And we get to be with him and live with him and look at that forever and ever. It's going to be awesome thing. Ezekiel got a glimpse of the throne room. The other passage in Revelation 4, I think it's the same thing here that Ezekiel got to see. Ezekiel 1 verse 28, it says, the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about the, the throne. Okay, This appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard a voice of one that spake. Now, unfortunately, the rainbow today, a token of God's mercy, is now being waved in his face to promote sexual perversion. Okay? Now, what's the history of the rainbow flag? Well, it's interesting because there's a record in the 1400s of a preacher, a good preacher, holding a rainbow flag as a symbol of God's grace. And then we also find in 1600s a rainbow flag was used to promote a the idea of social change. Other groups have used the rainbow flag for years, uh, religious and political groups. But in 1978, in San Francisco of all places, uh, an artist created a version of the rainbow flag in response to a local activist call for the need of a community symbol. This multicolored flag, which started as eight colors, which is really interesting to me, because most of us look at a rainbow and we see seven Seven colors. Now, they transition, so there would be thousands of colors if you really want to get picky. But we look at seven distinct colors. You learn that in grade school, right? Uh, of the of the rainbow. So the eight-color flag, for various reasons, one, they didn't have enough material of one color, and the banner wasn't fitting on the street post. It went down to six. Isn't that interesting? It was eight, now it's six. It, you know? But the rainbow is seven. It's seven. But this multicolored flag uh, is now symbolizing the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer movement. And they're going to keep adding uh, letters to that because sexual perversion has no end. Uh, that's why we need to know what God says. And by the way, adultery 
uh, fornication, uh, pornography. These are all forms of sexual perversion. The only solace I have about the LGBTQ flag, uh, my, my wife and I a few years ago uh, went to Israel a day ahead before our filming and our group, and it was, <laughs> they had they had gay pride in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. I'm like, have they not read what happened to a city not far from here? Okay. And, and almost every rest, we were hungry. We're walking to try to find a restaurant. Almost every restaurant had that flag. Now I'm not saying we should hate people. I'm, I'm saying we should treat people with love and respect because they're, they're people that God made. They might not think that, but they are. Okay. We need to love people. We need to show them Jesus Christ. But we decided just because I, I'm just not going to eat at a restaurant that's hanging the flag. We almost didn't eat. Okay. And you said, well, that would have been fine. Yeah, I know. But Karen was hungry. And, uh, when, when, when Karen's hungry, you know, her and her brother, Pastor Dan Rehoff, man, they've got to eat. You'll see a different side of Pastor Dan if you're ever with him when he's hungry, hangry. It's where they got the term. So we were hungry. And it took us probably 45 minutes to find a restaurant that didn't have that, that symbol. Anyways, um, here, here's the symbol. It's got six colors and it's not God's rainbow. Okay. It's not God's rainbow. God's rainbow has red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. And although the wicked will shine the rainbow colors on the White House, they'll wave flags in the street. They'll call it pride. I'm, I'm amazed that it's shortened to pride. It's just called pride now. Isn't that what happened in the garden? Satan used pride. He fell with pride. He used pride. God's withholding something. You deserve it. You should have it. And then man created high treason against God. Some people don't think of sin as high treason, but it is. God designed us. God created us. He created a certain way that's the best way for us. And if we go outside of that, we are committing high treason. Not just in sexual sins, but all sins. If you're not treating people fairly, if you're uh, 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 gossiping, all of these sins that we know about in the Bible, then we are, we are doing the same thing. We are, we are saying, I deserve this, or I'm not going to follow what God has said. It's pride. Okay? So... By the fact that they, they wave this flag almost in God's face, it's still, God's rainbow is still a promise that he will never destroy the earth again by a flood. Isn't that amazing? Even in the midst of them putting it in his face, it's, the promise still applies to them. His grace still applies to them. Now folks, listen, God will destroy the earth again. It's written in the Bible, but not by water, but by fire. Okay, so there is judgment coming. Uh, a, a rainbow flag is not a promise that uh, that you can sin and get away with it. Okay, now there's hope. There's forgiveness. Anytime we sin, uh, Jesus paid for that sin on the cross, and that to me is is amazing. Satan is a deceiver, though. He's convinced. Some people that going outside and against the creator is fine. Look at 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He's going to make it look great. 
Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, who end, whose end shall be according to their work. Now, there's a lot more that I wanted to talk about today, but I do want to end with this thought. In Genesis 8, verse 20, the scripture tells us that as Noah got off the ark, the first thing he did was built an altar unto the Lord. And he took of every clean beast. Remember when he got on the ark? It wasn't just two of every animal. Of the clean animals, it was a pair, a, a pair of seven. So I, I would say that's 14 of the clean animals. You say, well, what's a clean animal? Well, later, we do read about that, a clean animal, a clean fowl. It's in Leviticus 11. Uh, let me show that to you here real quick. Uh, a clean beast, according to the law of Moses given to Israel, was uh, an animal that had a parted hoof that was cloven-footed. So you've seen the hoof of some animals. If there's a split, that means it's a clean animal. They also chew the cud, and uh, that they were allowed to eat. So what are those those animals. Well, the Bible talks about cattle, deer, goats, sheep. Um, there was also clean seafood, those that had both fins and scales. Um, uh, clean birds included chickens and doves and ducks. And even some insects you were allowed to eat. Now, I don't really like that idea. I've eaten some insects by accident, and it's never fun. But I guess grasshoppers and locusts are also considered clean uh, so how would they have known that in Noah's day? That was way before Moses' day. Well, obviously, it was something that God revealed to them. They knew what that was. And there, there Noah gets off the ark, and he does the right thing. He offers a sacrifice. Why is a sacrifice important? Well, remember, a sacrifice is something that God first did. God slew an animal in order to clothe Adam and Eve. That was the first time they had seen blood. That innocent animal died because of their sin, because they had tried to clothe themselves with their own works, and that was the fig leaves. And God said, no, here, these are animal skins. And it was a sign, a symbol. And then there was also other sacrifices that we read about. Cain and Abel. Cain brought the wrong sacrifice. Abel brought the right one, a blood sacrifice. Why? Because sin is so bad, it requires the shedding of blood, pointing to the perfect human that would come and die and shed his blood on the cross. What a savior. What a savior. And we know that animal sacrifice continued all the way until Jesus died on the cross. And he is the final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. We don't need to do that anymore. But it is still something important for us to know that Noah sacrificed when he got off the ark. And the Bible says that, that uh, God smelled uh, that a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any man uh, anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil, and that's still true from his youth, as we've discussed today. Neither will I smite again any more living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. Isn't that amazing? We still have all these cycles. You know for sure that if the summer is long, the, the fall is near. Uh, today we had uh, the last of the four uh, summer girls uh, come to Dayspring. A long line of summers we've had here 
including the mom, Martha. And, um, but, but while the earth remaineth, while there's seed time, spring, harvest in the fall, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, uh, God's promise, his covenant, the rainbow signifies that he will not break that covenant. And God is a God of grace as we've seen in Jesus. As Jesus was on the cross, think about Jesus on the cross. Now, it doesn't say there was a rainbow, but I'd like to imagine that there were. Okay, as Jesus is, is coming to the earth in the future, we see a rainbow on his head. Jesus is God's manifestation, his projection of love. Okay, yeah, he, he, he will end violence. He will end wickedness eventually, but never with a worldwide flood. And we still have the benefit of that today. Now you know what the rainbow means. And I hope that every time you see rainbow, you praise the Lord that you still have that everlasting covenant that he has promised to you. Now let's use our knowledge to share the message with everybody, not just people that are moral. As a matter of fact, the people that aren't moral are the ones that know they need probably a savior. So we need to make sure we share the gospel with everybody. And what is the gospel? It's a very simple message. We actually put it on our walls. God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him. That doesn't just mean certain people that are living a certain moral lifestyle. Jesus died for anybody, everybody, whosoever believeth in him. That means it's not about religion. It's not about reforming. It's not about trying harder. Not about being better. If you believe in him, trust in him. You will not perish. That's hell, but have everlasting life. That's heaven. By the way, hell is the final judgment of fire. But God says he's going to destroy the earth one day with fire. And um, we have to make sure we know that that's coming. And then uh, in Ephesians 2, it says in verse 8, by grace that you're saved through faith. That's the same word as believe. That's how we're saved. Through faith, by trusting not in ourselves, our religion, not trusting a priest or a pastor, trusting in the person and work of Jesus. You're saved by faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. God offers you a gift called eternal life. What do you have to do to receive it? Take it. How do you take it? By faith. By believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. If you believe that, you are saved. You've taken the gift of of eternal life. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me show you this uh, illustration that will help you understand it even better. This is my left hand, uh, all of us. This wallet is our sin. We've sinned against God. This is God's holiness and perfection. He has no sin. He can't tolerate sin. Our sin separates us from him. So he sent Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How can we be saved from our sins? Believe that Jesus died for our sins, trust in him, and you're saved. And you're saved forever. You say, well, what if I mess up after I believe? He has you in his almighty hand. Okay? So he's not going to let go. He treats you as a son or a daughter. Uh, yeah, we, we might mess up. We probably will. Well, we will. But he has us securely. And the more you learn about his love and his grace, the more you're going to want to serve him and, and literally just dedicate yourself to him. Uh, that is the gospel of grace. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, please do it right now.